Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show on ESPN. Good to be back and good to have you with us. Great to have Iron Mike in the house because it's been a long time since we've caught up with the big man. And we have got a lot to be getting into. We're going to talk Urban Meyer. We're going to talk Bills moving to Austin. Could that really happen? We'll talk about the vaccine situation in the NFL right now. The Green Bay situation too. Uh, and plenty more besides. You know what it's like with me and Carlson. We are going to go off left, right, and center into all kinds of things. So we will get straight down to business as we get you set for the 2021 season and the welcome return of Mike Carlson. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way into the ring area from parts unknown <laughs> with a tan <laughs> would make Don Johnson proud. Mike Carson, all the way from sunning yourself on a beach in Portugal. How yeah, and, and believe me, I wish I was still there, not least because the place we were renting had better Wi-Fi than I do here at home. <laughs> so I, I could be working my working uh, my ass off if I if we done that. What did we think of doing a show with you with the with the sea in the background, Carlson in a deck chair on the beach, the Hawaiian shirt could have been brought out it would it would have been perfect it would have been absolutely perfect i like parts unknown as the introduction though. There, was, there was a moment when big van vader was being it was jim ross and, and jerry the king and big van vader came you know was introduced as from parts unknown and early in the match 
um, Jim Ross said, you know, and Van Vader was a football, an all-American football player. And Jerry Lawler goes, what was that at parts unknown state? (laughs) (laughs) Genius. Genius. Uh, It's great to see you, bud. We've got a ton to get into. Yeah. Uh, And as is always the way with uh, me and you, I'm sure uh, we will deviate uh, heavily and regularly from from the running order that producer Ollie's put together. But uh, we will start with, I I guess, just some of the big stories that have been rolling in uh, in recent times and to get the Carlson perspective on them all. I, I want to start with uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars because there's a lot of buzz about the, the Jags for fairly obvious reasons. Things are looking up, kiddo, as they say. And Urban Meyer in particular is, I think, a fascinating proposition because there's a huge amount of, of expectation, a lot of unknown a, a, as well about uh, what he is going to be able to achieve. What's your instinct with that? This this transition from college and everything he achieved there as a head coach to, to the pros in this particular instance, in this particular situation, Mike? Yeah, a- as it happens, I did a long take on that last last week um, before I went on holiday on, um, on my Patreon column. So Plug if you want to look at FMTE, um, Friday morning. Patreon.com, Mike Carlson, FMTE. Is the- Thank you. <laughs> um, and I, I took a look at her, but, you know, because when you look at college coaches transitioning to the NFL, um, the ones who have no NFL experience have a very, very mixed bag, you know, and, and since Jimmy Johnson, um, not a hugely successful mixed bag. Now, last year you had Matt Rule, who came from an NFL background. He had coached in the NFL, but to what are almost mid-major programs, even though they're in big conferences, uh, Temple and um, um, Baylor. and. And before that, it was Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech, who'd been an NFL quarterback. So he had experience as well. And the jury's out on both of those so far. The jury still is out, but they tend to get a a wider berth because they haven't been successful and because they've labored in that college system where guys like Urban Meyer have all the best players right. and you're, you're picking the leftovers. So, but Meyer started out at Bowling Green, went to Utah, went to Florida, went to Ohio state. So he started out at that level with, mm. with B, with B, BG and, and at Utah, the quarterbacks he inherited Josh Harris at, at Josh Harris at, at Bowling Green um, Alex Smith at Utah, mm. Chris Leak at Florida, Braxton Miller at Ohio State. He moved in. They were already in place. And he had huge success with all of them. He recruited at Bowling Green. He recruited Omar Jacobs. He never coached him because he left in, in two years. Omar Jacobs was a big, tall, strong-armed, um, not that mobile quarterback. At Utah, mm. he recruited... Um, Paul Kruger and Brian Johnson, who's now a quarterback's coach for the Eagles. Paul Kruger became a defensive end in the NFL. I mean, he he transitioned another big, strong-armed guy at Florida. Obviously, Tebow was the first guy who came in, and he won a national championship with Chris Leak. He won one with Tebow. But the Mm. other quarterbacks he brought in there um, were Cam Newton, Mm-hmm. who left after a year because of uh, um, a theft scandal. Uh, Jeff Driscoll, who transferred to Louisiana Tech. Um, Trey Burton, who became a tight right. end, went on right. to the NFL. Jordan Reed, who became a tight end, went on to the NFL. <laughs> um, Josh Portis, who transferred twice, <laughs> um, had a checkered career, both in college and the pros. John Brantley, who you've never probably heard of, and Tyler Murray transferred to BC. But the, but the story was he never found quarterbacks to replace the guys he inherited there at Ohio state. He was a little bit more lucky because, you know, they went undefeated his first year, but they were on probation. So they couldn't go to bowls his third year. 
they won the the national champion championship with Braxton Miller getting hurt and then JT Barrett getting hurt and Cardale Jones, who was just a freshman, taking them all the way. But when you look at those guys in NFL terms and then you look at the guys he recruited like Dwayne Haskins and let Joe Burrow go because Dwayne Haskins was in place. What you get is the sense that he really wants, although his offense is sort of thought of as being a running kind of option offense, he really wants a big armed quarterback back there. Um, they brought in Justin Fields, who was an option guy, you know, from Georgia in that transfer window. The, N- <laughs> the NCAA is now a bigger free agency market than the NFL. And it's, it's amazing every year. But I think what gives Jacksonville fans hope here is that Trevor Lawrence fits both those bills. Trevor Lawrence can be your, your option kind of quarterback, you know, although in the NFL, the jury's still out on whether you want a quarterback as a running threat. Um, who's not exceptional like Lamar Jackson say because of, of the risk and because of, of injury. Ability. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, RG three being the, you know, the right. prime, the prime example of that, right. but Lawrence is also a deep thrower. I mean, Lawrence can sit in the pocket and throw deep. We know that. So, so there is, I think Meyer there gets the best of both worlds. And the question then is what kind of an offense is he going to adapt for the NFL? Well, he's brought Daryl Bevel in. So what does that tell you? <laughs> that, that's the next <laughs> that's a point. Question. Not only Daryl Bevel, but Brian Schottenheimer is, mm. as his quarterback's coach. Now, Schottenheimer has been a run-first offensive coordinator everywhere he's been. Mm-hmm. And remember, he replaced Bevel at Seattle. Right. When, 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 they, um, when they fired Bevel after the Super Bowl, they brought in Schottenheimer, and it didn't get them very far. So, you know, I, I, think, I think the question is – whether he wants this team to be run first option and throw mm-hmm. and, and, you know, drafting Travis Etienne, signing Carlos Hyde, who played for mid Ohio state um, seems to indicate James Robinson may not be the guy who does the primary carrying the way he did last year, um, which means it means a different offense. So, you know, I, I think, I think he's going to get a lot of leeway, obviously. Um, to to experiment and stuff. But I also get the sense that he's going to let those guys take control of the offense quite a bit. Mm. Um, and, and it'll be it'll be an interesting thing to see because he doesn't have a great group of wide receivers there either, um, you know, uh, just on paper, at least. So I, I'm looking to see if they do something more 49ers style, more Sean McVay style. Um than say Pete Carroll style mm. um, or indeed Urban Meyer style, because the one thing you get it when you're taking over Jacksonville after coaching at Ohio state, you don't have a built-in advantage over every team you play, right. except maybe Penn state or Michigan or, or whatever, you know, I guess um, the flip side of, of that is the expectation levels as much as they can be low in the NFL and time is, uh, up against you more than ever now to establish yourself as a head coach, but he's got time, hasn't he? I mean, certainly this year, unless it's an, a cataclysmic off a cliff, which is unlikely to be, then he's got at least a couple of years to get this right. Yeah, and you know, I was writing the NF- NFC South and and Houston, who have a AFC know, South, AFC South, sorry, yeah, and Houston, who um, have all kinds of problems, you know, mm-hmm. and have brought in a lot of um, fungible talent, uh, Nick Casario doing that kind of 2002 Bill Belichick thing. Um, <laughs> but they have a huge question because I don't think Deshaun, nobody thinks Deshaun Watson's going to still be, uh, you know, playing by the start of the season. Right. 
that's a major question for them. When- hey, Blake Bortles is on the market. I keep th- role playing this in my head that Blake Bortles somehow is going to get a shot in a Super Bowl, maybe during the game when the starter goes down. And Blake, Blake I feel Blake's going to come good, Mike. I wouldn't don't know. That if be, wouldn't be- that be a great story? I would um, love Blake to Super come. Bowl he never got to. Uh, well, uh, exactly. With Fournette's already set the precedent, right? So hey, it's all. Yeah, it's, I, it's I, if end. I were if I were um, a team with Joe Flacco, say I would bring Bortles in as his backup, and that would to me would make perfect sense. Um, Joe but, Flacco. <laughs> imagine if imagine if Aaron Rodgers had been traded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Well, let's talk about Rodgers. We said we get some of the big stories of the offseason. Did you ever think? that that was a credible possibility, Rogers leaving Green Bay this offseason? I didn't think it was a possibility if he was going to go to another team. I really didn't think Green Bay would give in to that um, right. at this point. Um, if he was finished with football, it was a possibility, but I also didn't think he was finished with football. Mm. And, you know, like everybody now, they want to be like the NBA and go to a proven winner, you know, and, you know, everybody on the all-star team goes to one team so they can get a ring. Um, <laughs> and um, the odd thing was when, if he looked at it seriously, the number of teams who had salary cap room and a need at quarterback right. or a potential need at quarterback, because San Francisco was talking about trading, you know, before the draft trading, um, Jimmy G and the three pick to, to them. Four, um, yeah. But obviously that never happened. Um, the the list was pretty damn short. And Mike, I don't know about, about you. I was never really buying Denver because of the change in front office personnel. I didn't. And the draft is is, is critical in this conversation, right? Because I think once that passed and the deal wasn't done, I think it was increasingly unlikely that, that Rogers would get moved. But if it happened before the draft, on draft night, first night, I just can't see a new regime, new front office in Denver giving up the house for the next three years or whatever it would have been. Even for Aaron Rodgers, it just would have it just felt unlikely and plausible to me. And I don't think they could have they would have given up a big enough package to keep because the Packers, from their point of view, the longer they kept him, the higher the price got because right. the greater the need would be um, as, as you came forward. The only thing working in Denver was that if John Elway had fallen in love with Aaron Rodgers, as he mm. does with many quarterbacks, um, you know, he might have wanted to pull out all the stops to bring him in. But if Rogers hey, is Brock wants Osweiler to... on the market, by the way, <laughs> maybe he's an option. Where is Brock? Yeah, the Elway discards club could probably <laughs> get in a bus to Indianapolis right now. Um, find out where the hell Brock is. Yeah, the sure thing is, if, if Rogers wants a Super Bowl, Green mm. Bay is the best place for him. You right. know, they were, they were one bad decision by the coach, more or less from potentially getting to, a Super Bowl, you know, yep. um, they're not as bad as he was letting on. His receiving group is not as bad as he was letting on. They could mm. use another receiver for sure. Um, King had a terrible game against Tampa, obviously, mm. um, but the secondary is not anywhere near as bad as as people thought. And they've strengthened that. So, and they've strengthened it. Um, they could use they could use a linebacker. They had you know a draft, and 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 um, I think they'll be a little stronger there. They changed defensive coordinators, which is, to me is very interesting because um, Mike Patton had a lot of success, but he, but he's a guessing kind of guy. He, he's a risk taker, and when that goes mm. right as it did in 2019. They were a top defense in 2020, had much less success. And when it goes wrong, it puts lots of pressure on your secondary. Um, Joe Barry's a much more kind of 
control guy. Um, you know, he comes out Eddie, of the, Eddie. Mm. he comes out of the Tampa system, and you know, Rod Marinelli's mm. his father-in-law. Um, <laughs> mm. remember, remember that Detroit reporter who asked asked Marinelli if he thought he wished his daughter had married somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Barry was his defensive coordinator, oh, and he never reported again. Um, in yeah, funny that. Yeah, <laughs> he ever seen um, again? Or, <laughs> <laughs> but but Barry's worked in in three four, so you know I, mm. I think they'll be they'll be kind of more set, and that'll probably help the defensive backfield. And um, do you think, Mike, on that basis, then a lot of people because of all the uh, because of all the chatter and jibber jabber. A lot of people are sleeping on Green Bay. Are they a serious contender for you? I think they are. I I think they absolutely are. Um, The loss that bothered me the most in Green Bay um, wasn't Lindsay the center because they develop linemen really well, and I think they'll have a solid line anyway. Um, But Jamal Williams, simply because Jamal Williams is such a good receiving back out of the backfield. Not that Aaron Jones isn't, but when you took him out and you put Jamal Williams in, you had another guy who he caught like 90% of the passes thrown to him last year. Right. right. Um, And you think of like Kansas City when they have all that success rolling guys um, out of the backfield, uh, hitting them downfield. Williams was Mm. that kind of guy. He's he can be replaced, obviously. Um, But that to me was the was the loss that that worried me that uh, would worry me the most. They they could they could use a blocking tight end. They could use another good receiver, Um, but they're a solid team. They've got. Rodgers, as I always keep saying, um, was Patrick Mahomes before Patrick Mahomes came along. He's got that unique talent, or now not unique because of Mahomes, but to throw the ball off balance Mm. from any angle, moving one way, throwing the other, but seeing receivers downfield and throwing accurately Mm. downfield. And you can't take that away. It always makes Green Bay a threat. And Devontae Adams now is back, you know, the Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, meme that he put up but you know if if you wanted me if you said to start a team and i'll give you two wide receivers who do you want mm. i would take stefan diggs and Devonte adams no to me they're the two best receivers in the league so they're clearly ahead of what of of hopkins of dk Hop, hopkins dk well if it, my second two would probably be dk and tyreek hill are you thinking of them as a, as a pair as well? As so, a pair, yeah. As so a working pair. together. I mean, okay. You know, yeah, yeah. If you have Hill with the right combination, Hill, mm. Hill you could consider the best. I think Metcalf yeah. <laughs> probably got the best physical package of anybody and, and obviously mm. is a threat. I mean, you know, Kansas City, Metcalf, Kelsey, and Hill would be would kill would kill you. Um oh and D Hop, D Hop is um, you know, is an amazing receiver. Um, but I think he's a little more limited now as he gets older than, than the other two. Um, did, what about Julio? I mean, is Julio still in the conversation? Well, Julio was, you know, a, a, a few years ago, Julio and AJ Green might've been my two choices uh, for that. If he comes back fully healthy, mm. um, as guys tend to do where they hit new teams, all of a sudden right. those little aches and pains. Yeah. He's, mm. cer- he's certainly um, in there, but, you know, I think between, between um, Diggs and Adams, they can do everything, mm. whatever kind of route you want them to run over the middle, deep, um, middle, um, middle of the field, outside, outs. They, and they both run great routes. They both get open no matter how hard you press them. Um, you know, I, I just think Adams is such a great talent that for he and, he and um, Rogers not to be playing together would be a disgrace. Well, you mentioned Diggs and we've talked, Mike, about the significant impact that Diggs had on 
Josh Allen, who obviously was going to get better when you match him with a receiver like that. But I don't think many people expected that level of, of progression year on year. Do you think that the Ravens have done enough in terms of uh, what they've done at the receiver position? Something you and I uh, identified last season as a clear uh, hole similar to, to the one the Bills filled by bringing Diggs in. Is that enough for you for, for Lamar to progress maybe not to the same degree, but significantly enough year on year. Um, Allen, Allen's progress has been remarkable and almost unprecedented for a quarterback with his back, with his background. And Diggs was a big part of that. Um, and I think, I think, the offense was the other big part of it. I think they adjusted to him mm. as much as he did. You know, he, he adjusted to that offense. They, they, but they tweaked the offense to make his throws easier um, to figure out for him and, and kept him in the pocket more. And it worked really well with Lamar. I think you have the same thing and they have to, decide at some point how much they involve the, the receiving core. Now I thought Bateman was a fantastic pick in the first round. I had him mm. going to the Ravens and, mm. and um, I think I took the over under on, on, you know, his draft pick based on my decision. He was going to the Ravens mm. um, and he gives him that extra option. And the reason I like it is that what they miss last year was not so much the wide receivers as the multiple tight end sets. Mm. They need another receiving tight end, which was, you know, they had three tight, they were playing three tight ends a lot two years ago. Mm. Um, and um, what's his name went to Atlanta and they never really did replace him. Um, they let Andrews go. They didn't need him, but I, I think Bateman can do some of that same thing because he's a big, strong um, wide receiver and they, they can put him in motion and Brown is really good. You know, there's really mm. no question that they should be able to. Sammy Watkins in the mix as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and Sammy Watkins is funny because eh, every year it seems like he goes to a different team and every year he comes up with the same sort of statistical package, but he makes an impact. And he makes money. Does he have the same agent as Kirk Cousins? I think we should look into that. <laughs> Oh God! I mean, Washington. That brings that. that every time you say Kirk Cousins, I just think of how Washington mishandled that. Well, I heard Rufus in the background, and we haven't mentioned the Jets yet. No. But maybe Kirk Cousins set him off. I don't know. Um, no, I, I think he um, he decided that I was just boring him. <laughs> he, he decided to go out and chase Postman or something, something like that. Hey, um, on the Bills, Mike. I know you wanted to talk about the possibility of the Bills relocating. Oh this God! Is yes. Rumblings that they might be moving to Austin, Buffalo Bills in Texas. Can you buy that? I mean, what's no, the... Not really. I mean, you know how this stuff goes. And mm. The Bills turn into a good team. The the owner immediately says, okay, Buffalo, <laughs> you like a good football team in <laughs> yeah. this city? You better pay. Right. Um, now, they, they've, they haven't quite backtracked, but... Um, you know, they have tried to kind of squeeze out of some of the things that were reported, but but not convincingly. You know, they I think they do want the, the city to do most of the paying. It's a hard thing to ask Buffalo, which is not Austin, Texas. It's not a boom town in the in the Sun Belt. You know, uh, Buffalo is a suffering city in the Rust Belt. Mm. It, and they've been very loyal supporters of that team since 1960. Um, it's hard to ask them to put up money when they have so many more pressing needs mm. um, than making the pergolas rich uh, or richer, I should say. Um, and that's, but that's the way the NFL works, you know, and, and the league has money available for, 
for teams that want to upgrade their stadiums. So, you know, I, I should think that would be the first thing they'll sit down and, and talk about. Um, and But when you think about power balance it, in terms of the, the owners that, that control the room really in, in the NFL, and, I, and I'd be reading the... Uh, the dynasty book that, uh, about the Patriots and fascinating how Kraft got his hands on the Patriots and the, the whole Victor Kayam side story that I had known nothing about, which is, which is amazing. But the, but it I really, use it myself. <laughs> I like this team so much. I bought it. I bought it myself. Look him up kids, Victor Kayam. But the, um, it, it's interesting. And of course that this was, you know, uh, a, 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 a different era. Things have moved on significantly since, since, you know, Kraft took it over, but a, a lot of the same principles apply. And uh, at the core of that, of course, is the, the control within uh, the, the uh, owner's circle, those owners that have the most influence that can bring people along with them. Right. So bearing that in mind and, and to what you said about Buffalo's history, Buffalo's uh, long standing, uh, relationship with the NFL, how much does that count? Do you think in, in their eyes? It's, it's, in, it's interesting. Cause I get the sense sometimes Ralph Wilson was a go along guy. Ralph Wilson almost kept the AFL afloat at mm. one point um, by giving other teams, you know, the, the, the money that he might've taken himself. Um, you get the sense the, what the NFL likes best are the Cronkies, um, the Jerry Joneses who, who think big, who can build big, and who make money for everyone. I put mm. that in inverted commas. If you're not watching, <laughs> if you're not watching this um, craft was in the inner circle, but I don't get the same, excuse me, the same sense that he is now. Um, mm. He was in the inner circle because he had, he was very media savvy and, and, mm. and very good in terms of, of how they handled that. But remember craft threatened to move the Patriots to Hartford, Connecticut. Yeah. Right. At True. one point, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and UConn was building a new stadium, which is now a white elephant because their football program is nowhere. Um, but they were going to build, you know, for the Patriots as well and, yeah. and play there. Yeah. Um, so everybody, everybody plays the same cards because that's, that's what you do. Yeah. To get to get what you want in stadium sense, um, but is there a tipping point? I guess I'm asking Mike. With you know, they even if you even if their motives are cynical or at least commercial, uh, would they understand the importance of keeping a franchise with the the rich tradition that Buffalo has in Buffalo? They I feel that's better for for the for the for the I, shield ultimately. I take the point, but. I think in the end, money talks mm. and the shield walks or, or mm. the shield likes money as much as, as everybody else does mm. in, the, in the front mm. office. I mean, look at the Chargers, for example. Mm. Um, True. They kissed San Diego goodbye with the NFL's blessing. I mean, the mm. NFL did everything they could to move Oakland. Um, now, admittedly, Al Davis had moved them to Los Angeles and then back. back and forth, but that was yeah. Al Davis, you know. Um, right. But Oakland is now in La, in las vegas um the browns are in baltimore um yep. the houston oilers are in tennessee there there isn't a whole lot of you know tradition there the only team mm. i think that is tradition that is like tradition insulated against moving would probably be green bay right who would be a, i mean who would be a candidate and dallas moving? as well presumably yeah, well, Dallas wouldn't be a candidate for moving. I mean, there's, there'd be. No I see. Who, okay, because the market's for, big enough. Yeah, yeah, the market's big, and I mean, Green Bay, Green Bay, and you can argue is a small market, but but they're a TV presence, mm. um, and so they're 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 probably safe. Jacksonville is everybody's first choice to move. Mm. Um, not London <laughs> being one of the destinations, you know, most most talked about. Um, now I'm glad you brought that up. So 
since we last caught up, news of games in Germany, and you were, uh, of course, a lot, have a long-standing uh, association with NFL Europe and, and covered it for many years. Yeah. Uh, uh, and of course, with the international series, you know, you and I have been doing them since uh, since the very first one, right? So, yep. what have you made of that announcement? Does this mean? more for everybody there's going to be games in germany as well as lots more for the uk do you think they're going to start to mix it up and divide it and split uh, and share the love what do you think well i think that's seems to be the immediate plan because you know we're we're not going to have the four game you know right. the, the four games are, are probably going to go it, it makes to me it makes it seems less likely that a london team is is coming over um which i've always said i thought was you know it, if thing if everything fell right, then maybe you know maybe within ten years of of whenever we started talking about it, but everything at this point hasn't fallen right covid not the least of the of the right. un, unexpected uh, consequences but um you know I think Germany's a good market I think it's instructive that the NFL is looking not at the cities that were big in NFL Europe which was Dusseldorf and Frankfurt, both of whom were getting over 30,000 legit at, at their games. And, and mm. then Hamburg came along the last couple of years and was getting over 20,000. But they're looking at Munich and, and Berlin, Berlin, which are the biggest market cities. Right. Um, and I think that's a sign of, of their confidence that there is the market in Germany, not just in those cities, but in the whole of Germany. Because remember, Berlin's NFL Europe team never did very well mm. at, at the gate. Um, but on, but as a television, as a national um, um, hype machine, as we saw in Britain, you know, sure. um, and it was easier in London because we had the office in London. Yeah. We speak English. The time difference is one hour less. We had great TV, um, you know, coverage on more than one net three networks you know yourself <laughs> when, when we started yeah especially great on channel five and, oh, and on bbc post postseason and then channel four yeah um but you know i so i think i think what they're doing is is starting the process with germany hoping that they will have a two-nation base in europe um from so which the games will be split so four games five games say two three in the uk two three in germany. maybe yeah um or maybe two in each and one in mm. another place if they mm. you know if germany were successful say in the first couple of years you might try a game in vienna um you wow, might try vienna, a game I love that in scandinavia um come on try game, amsterdam come you on try try a game in amsterdam <laughs> you, you might try that. try a game in um in uh, dublin yeah, those those right. would seem you know like likely likely um, likely f spots for yeah. uh, for a game. So you know I, I don't look at it as a negative at all from a fan's point of view. Sure. I, you know my 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 feeling has always been that we get the best by getting different teams in a mix. We get the best of the mix, and and given that they're really going to insist that all teams play overseas one way or another. I think that works out better for the American fans as well, because there, there is some domestic complaint about you know losing a home game um, to go overseas. And, and mm -hmm. although lots of people believe Americans only watch sport on TV, NFL sells out, you know, mm -hmm. and people go to the games. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and the economy and, around and, it is, is COVID is, uh, you know, has uh, yeah. uh, accentuated, right? The, the Do you economy remember? Yeah. Do you remember last year when some reporter said to Bill Belichick about, you know, playing in an empty stadium? He said, you know, in your long football career, have you ever experienced anything like like playing in front of no fans? And Bill looked at him and said, practice. 
love it. It was, it was, it was good. <laughs> hey, Mike, you mentioned COVID, and and I want to get into that next, and specifically uh, the vaccination situation yeah. in the NFL, which is. Interesting to say the least. So uh, players, it's not mandatory to, to take the vaccine and they're estimating now around 80% or, or so of NFL players have taken it. So that's a big chunk that as yet haven't for for reasons that are going to be in, in the Cole Beasley camp and actually a, a, a seemingly a growing faction of uh, players who are, are speaking out about taking it. Um, uh, other members of the team on the coaching staff uh, and front office and associated organizational members have to, it is mandatory. And we've already seen a few uh, coaching uh, staff depart from their respective teams because they're, they're clearly uh, anti-vaxxers or at least refusing to, to, to take it. So let's start with that division. Is it reasonable for the NFL to say, well, players, it's up to you, but coaching staff and similar, you have to take it. That's a good question. That's a good question. Um, although they're not saying it's up to you to the players, because what they're saying is if you then test positive, your team could lose, a, could forfeit a game. They're saying yeah. that, but but they still yeah. it's not making so it's it mandatory. Not, so it's not mandatory in that sense. But yeah, they're putting an awful lot of pressure, pressure. on on the players to to uh, see the light. Um, so, well, that pressure do you think I, the, the difference prove, the, prove critical? The, yeah, the difference between the two situations is that the players have the players' association mm. and the coaches don't right um so that the the collective bargaining agreement gives the commissioner oddly enough the right he could he could make it mandatory and i don't think the you know the the players association could do anything about it but so far he's backed off of that which i think is the right thing to do why um because rather than bring it out into a a full-scale confrontation and it blows up yeah okay yeah what they're what they're trying to do is is to impress on everybody the reality of the situation um and doing it for the good of the team now obviously too many players are watching fox news um and you know getting non-stop barrage of covid conspiracy um the vaccine conspiracy theories covid Mm. kind of stuff and i mean to me um the the non-vaccine argument is is really flimsy and and basing it on personal freedom is even flimsier Mm. um but it's something people are rallying around i saw brandon scherf uh on washington give a press conference not a prep but just an interview he had a mask on he was keeping distance but he wasn't going to be vaccinated Mm. he just said it's a personal decision Mm. and you know I'm not convinced that we can actually argue it's a personal decision when you have a um, an easily spread pandemic disease, um, because your decision obviously is going to affect has the possibility of affecting lots of other people. And you know we're we're arguing COVID passports here, but having gone to Portugal, you know I didn't need a passport per se, but I did have to show a certificate that I'd had double vaccine. I had mm. to show a negative test. I had to show a negative test before I came back. I had to show a negative test two days after I came back, mm. um, which I'm perfectly willing to do, you know, uh, but it would be easier if I had a little card that said I'd had the two vaccines rather than carrying around a, a piece of paper from the NHS with a barcode on it. But that's yeah, the, yeah. App, get the app rolling. Carson. Yeah. So I mean, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this concept of pressure that you, you brought up. So the NFL are not saying to a player, you have to have it, but as you rightly say, the consequences of a player not having the vaccination uh, and then things uh, playing out, which forces them 
to forfeit games and the pressure therefore that's going to be put on them from all of their contemporaries uh, and, and of course uh, everybody else in, in the organization is that going to ultimately become uh, the deciding factor that you think those let's look at the numbers right now 20% as of today recording this approximately 20% haven't had the vax do you think that by the time we get to mid-season and maybe a couple of these situations have played out, that number will be up to the high 90s. Is that probably. plan going to work? I think, I think it probably will. I mean, what the NFL doesn't want is playing in front of empty stadiums like they did last year, right. um, moving games around you know, during the week like they did last year. I think they're, they're kind of saying we're going to have a normal season whether you guys like it or not, and you're going to have to do what is necessary to give us a normal season. Um, now, there are situations where you could test positive having been vaccinated. Yeah, true. It's it's a small percentage, but it happens. Um, you might not be contagious at that point. Um, you're probably going to be asymptomatic, um, you know, and and people who've been vaccinated haven't had major problems more with except for very few in terms of having caught it COVID and then um, serious symptoms. But yeah, you know, it's it's such it's such a minefield of labor law, of employment law. Um, like I said, the commissioner probably has in in the um, C- CBA the right to do this. He's got the right to do almost anything he wants, mm. <laughs> you know, by the CBA. The teams um, have obviously decided that they're going to go go with this um, with this this uh, policy. Mike, we're going to wrap up by uh, raising a glass to two players that we've lost since, again, since you and I last caught up. I know that uh, you mentioned your your Patreon column earlier on. Let's give that another plug. Patreon.com forward slash Mike Carlson FMT. A lot more startings from Carlson on there. Um, I know you've addressed uh, and, and talked about them on within your column, but obviously not on the pod. So let's talk about both Alex Gibbs and Greg Knapp. Yeah, Greg Knapp you know, was only 58. He got hit by a car while he was riding his bicycle uh, mm. at home and, and died. And, and it really shocked everyone. Uh, I never met him or anything, but from what I gather, he was incredibly well-liked and, and his, his coaching history would bear that out. He came out of Sacramento state as a player and he hung around the NFL for a couple of years, a quarterback. And then as a coach, I think he coached Werner Hippler, the German tight end who played for the chargers briefly and was in NFL Europe. Right. Um, but he had a long spell with the, with the 49ers in the nineties and, and into the 20th century with Jeff Garcia, Steve yeah. Young briefly, you know, working his way up from like quality control all the way to offensive coordinator and then went to Atlanta in the Michael Vick years and mm. had some success with Mike Vick. And then he had a, a lot of years where he wasn't so successful um, in Oakland and Seattle and um, Matt pre Wilson, pre Wilson, Seattle, I guess yeah, pre Wilson, yeah. Seattle. Um, but he wound up as a quarterback coach in Denver when Peyton was there mm. and then three years in Atlanta with Matt Ryan. So that's a pretty easy gig when you're Peyton Manning's quarterback coach, you know, Gaze was the <laughs> offensive coordinator and look what it did for Gaze's reputation. <laughs> right. um, and Nap, you know, Nap uh, went from there to Atlanta. Ryan's had, you know, Ryan's had a really good year last year. People ignored that because it wasn't a very good team. Right. Ryan, Ryan had a pretty good year and he was coaching with the jets as, as a kind of, you know, without portfolio pass game coordinator kind of thing. Um, Mm. So he won't be obviously coaching with the jets now, but you know, it's funny that his biggest success 
was first with running kind of quarterbacks and then with pocket pocket guys um, <laughs> right i mean which Mike was Mike and, diametric opposites. Yeah, and i remember criticizing him like crazy in both of his spells at oakland um and um you know and he got fired from both of them as well are those so, things connected is that what you're suggesting like i i don't think so but you know but it's one of the, it made me think that it's one of those things where you know we don't know these people personally and, mm. and and we're not intimately involved with all the stuff that goes on in the coaching room and the tape room and on the sidelines so sometimes our criticism can seem a lot uh, to um, to blase or, or lazy. Yes. Um, yeah. Alice Gibbs was another story because again I didn't know him, but uh, my criticism of Gibbs was echoed, so I felt justified by it by an NFL Europe line coach. I won't go. I won't go into names, but his team Why used to get linemen from the the Broncos. And, right. and a couple of them became very, very good players mm. in the NFL. Matt Lepsis, Ben Hamilton were both, you know, Pro Bowl offensive linemen. But he told me that the Broncos would call up Jack McNell. And, well, now we know who, who the line coach is. If yeah. You can go and figure it out. But <laughs> and, and complain that he wasn't teaching the Denver system of blocking. Alex Gibbs was the master of the zone blocking Mm -hmm. run and you think of all those thousand yard rushers that mike shanahan used to roll out every year you know some sixth round olandis gary anderson um you know terrell davis Davis. um you know and get a thousand yards that was all based on the zone blocking that alex gibbs taught and the runner had to be able to make one cut and go See mm-hmm. where that hole was developing because it could be anywhere along the line because zone blocking is everybody pushing in one direction mm-hmm. and then finding the hole. Right. But what what he didn't like about Gibbs's blocking, what I hated about it was that they would chop block guys from the back. Mm-hmm. So if you're a center, say, and, and you're zone blocking and the defensive tackle on your inside shoulder follows the zone down the line. So he's moving to your right. You just take him out at the knees from behind. And that's a great mm. way of breaking guys' knees constantly. Yeah. And and yeah. this line coach said to me, I've got guys here who are taking one last shot at the NFL. Young kids haven't been drafted. Guys who've you know, been hung around for a couple of years without a chance. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to hurt some guy on another team who's mm. doing that, you know, in for $10,000 or whatever they're being play, paid for right. the NFL Europe season. Right. Um, so he would not coach that. He would mm-hmm. not coach the but the the block from behind, and that was crucial to the system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and watching NFL games, I used to scream about it all the time because it mm-hmm. wasn't technically illegal. Because you're, when you're in the box, you were allowed to make contact. But it's but dirty go, poker. But going low mm. below the knees was, if not illegal at that point, it is. It is now. Mm. It was, I thought, unethical. Immoral, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but Alice Gibbs was a great line coach. Where and wherever he went, lines automatically improved. His his ideas on zone blocking and how it could be viable in a league which previously was mostly straight ahead man blocking you know mm. pulls traps whatever but you defeated the guy in front of you you didn't kind of move away and, and just go down the, the line looking for someone to block so i think he's when you talk about assistant coaches who probably deserve hall of fame considerations he and the zone blocking scheme are almost as important as dick lebeau say in the zone wow. blitz on wow. defense you know, he, he, he yeah. was that good yeah wow um i'm uh mention your column mike what else have you been writing about that our listeners could go check out um, well, not, not so much really. I've actually been working on, on a, on a book of, on book of poems. Um, oh, nice. but I've got some reviews coming up on, um, 
on Medium. Uh, you can just find me by name uh, on Medium. Um, and uh, there's, a, there's a book called Nick, which is a prequel to The Great Gatsby, which I've been meaning to write about. And I've got to get got to get that done soon. And um, I've written a couple of things in The American. And I'm, I'm, um, well, I have a monthly column there. It's a magazine, but it's also online. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my next one, which I'll be writing um, next week, is on my my football history in my love hate relationship with English football. Um, oh, interesting. The sport, the English call soccer um, and, and the Americans picked it up from them. Um, and the reason I I'm writing about it is that I got incensed by the European championships at, at especially at the final mm. um, and the behavior of the crowds. Um, right. And it took me back to my uh, first, the English fans specifically. Yeah. Well, it was in London and, you know, it took me back to my first ever big football. I mean, I, I had watched, you know, high school and college soccer where, where my friends were playing and stuff like that. But my first big football match was at Wembley mm-hmm. in January of 1973, the six against the three, mm. which was the six existing common market countries. Italy, France, Germany, and the three Benelux countries mm-hmm. against the three new common market members, Ireland, Denmark, and Great Britain. Mm. And Alf Ramsey was coaching um, one team and um, oh, the German coach. Um, doesn't matter. I'll, I'll think of it as soon as we go off the air. Um, so the one team was mostly German and the other team was mostly English. Um, but Dino Zoff was in goal for the, for the six and Pat Jennings from Northern Ireland was in, in goal for the three, which is what I remember the most. And um, Bobby Charlton was running the game, but he was like 36 years old and, and he was just sort of standing there. And, and in those days, nobody touched you. You know, you, right. sh- shoulder charge was a shoulder charge, but if you had the ball in your possession, you didn't have guys grabbing your jersey, and especially if you were Bobby Charlton. Um, was Bobby Moore playing as well? Um, I think Bobby Moore was playing, and um, but I don't remember mm. offhand. Um, yeah, a guy called Jensen from Denmark scored mm. the first goal on, on a beautiful pass from from Charlton. Um, Helmut Schoen is that the Helmut Schoen? Schoen, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to think because I knew it's beautiful, Helmut mm. beautiful, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, I think if I remember right, um, it was a two-one or three-one game. Mm. But anyway, um, so that was my first exposure. It was, and the stadium was only half full, mm-hmm. which should have thought, taught me something about, you know, <laughs> the common market, the Brexit, <laughs> Brexit many years later. But at halftime, my friend Mole and I looked around to see where everybody was going to, to go to the loo and no one was moving. And I looked down and my beautiful 1973 super cool cowboy boots <laughs> <laughs> we're getting very wet <laughs> and the petty drop because we were we were standing in the we were standing in the um behind the goal you know and it was yes, yeah, it, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. just it was the, just running river, down running the down the river <laughs> the river ran through it and i thought oh my god <laughs> i want it I, what, I, what kind of a country is this that must have happened at, at nfl games never. i want to see the i want to see these cowboy boots carson i never i mean we worked together so much i never, I never I, well they, they're long gone now they lasted a long time they weren't they weren't like you know manly footwear kind of cowboy boots they were mm. um they were kind of square-toed and you know um 
relatively modest brown brown oh, boots. No spurs on them. No, no. spurs. No, no. I, I, you know, I, I wasn't. A, I wasn't a Spurs fan then. I was in Inver, Inverness. Uh, Inverness yeah, Thistle, Thistle was my team. You remember that one? Um, we, we were we were doing four, Channel Four, Channel Five, and I'm trying to think of who who we were doing it with, but. Um, I'd had all these messages because when Inverness, Caledonia, and Thistle beat Celtic, I'd had all these death threats from Celtic fans, uh, right. hundreds of them, right. literally. Really? Yeah. And, um, and you asked me wh- how, why I was a fan. I said, because we were up in Inverness on this same trip and Inverness Caledonian was playing Inverness Thistle. And mm. we went along with 20 other people to watch the match. Mm. And um, I think it was Keith Webster. Someone said, oh, so you were a regular then. <laughs> <laughs> so when they merged into Inverness Caledonian Thistle, that became my, fav- my favorite team. Well, a, a fine choice, quite frankly. Yeah. We'll get you to West Ham this season, Mike, but I'm looking forward to reading that piece on uh, your love-hate relationship with football. With yeah, it was Albert. funny. I saw the headlines about Kane's girlfriend accusing him of fixing a playoff game. And I thought, Harry Kane was fixing a match? <laughs> <laughs> it was the guy at the Chicago Blackhawks. It wasn't Kane the wrestler. That's where that's I went. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he fixed the match. <laughs> who bribed him? <laughs> that would be a definite storyline. They should have they should have rolled out at some point. Carlson, great to catch up. At Carlson Sports uh, is where you can follow the big man on Twitter at Carlson's Ports or Carlson Sports. Carlson Ports, yeah. <laughs> and wherever you wherever you can, just Google Mike Carlson and see what comes up. It can't be good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go do that right now. Look after yourself. See you soon, bud. Yep, see you soon. Brilliant stuff from Mike. Uh, he will be back very soon. You can count on that. And so will we, because we're dropping episodes all the way through August. Check out our franchise focus specials, college days rolling. If you haven't uh, listened to that one yet, Ben Isaacs, getting you up to speed with the top college talent that you're going to be seeing playing in the NFL next season. So get yourself ready and ahead of the curve by listening uh, to college days. And Edge Rush is going to be making its way to your podcatcher of choice pretty soon as well. So plenty coming your way in August as we build up to the 2021 season. Keep it with us at the NC Show, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Video from the show goes out on there. Lots of extra bonus stuff as well. Big shout out to our social media crew. And if you haven't already and you've got 30 seconds, hop on over uh, to wherever you listen to us. And if they allow you to, leave, leave a review. It keeps us happy. It puts a big smile on producer Ollie's face. Uh, keeps us in good nick with the bosses. So we would appreciate that. If you're enjoying the show, uh, that would be much appreciated. Gang, we'll be back very soon with more NFL chat. We'll see you then. Bye for now. Follow Baseball Nuts. Join us on the Johnny and Josh show with my baseball brothers where JC will endeavor to offer some insightful analysis and my friend eric jansen will offer quirky baseball trivia but we also have david langell who will combine a high level of inappropriateness with a low level of analysis the johnny and josh show available to download wherever you listen to your podcasts sports social podcast network Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.